Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. In this recording, El Emanuel tells a spooky story from the Bay of Exploits, The Coast of Dorman's Cove. Meself, I don't believe in ghosts, said Uncle John Snow. I've lived for 82 years and I ain't seen one yet. But mind you, queer things have happened to me that you can't explain according to ordinary knowledge. Of course, they're so far back in me mind now that I can't say if I dreamed them or they really happened. What things, for instance? Tell us some, demanded my sister Louise. We pulled our chairs nearer the wood stove. I moved to the middle of the circle away from the hall door. I could never feel safe with a door at my back during one of these creepy sessions. Uncle John reached for a birch log from the wood box beside him, rammed it through the stove door, struck a match on his boot, and lit his pipe. Well, he began after a couple of puffs, I mind the time me and me brother Jim and our father got fog-bound fishing, and a wonderful queer thing happened. At least I think it happened, and so did father, because we talked about it only the week he died, and he said twas just like I remembered it. He closed the draft and settled his feet on the damper, tilting his chair back to look up at the ceiling. We children knew that sign. It promised a long, spine-shivering tale. For although Uncle John professed skepticism about ghosts, he delighted in a well-told tale. Now, mind you, this is sixty years or more ago I'm telling you about. And dem times, Notre Dame Bay was full of fish, and all those barren little islands were covered with trees and full of foxes and rabbits. Well, anyhow, Jim and me and father went cod jigging one day over towards Thwart Island. The fishing was right good then, so we kept it up, hoping to get a boatload before we sailed home. But pretty soon the wind went down and we had to get the whores out. As you know, Rowing one of them big skiffs loaded to the gunnels is some job. What, didn't you have an engine? asked Louise. Now, me child, I said this was sixty years ago, and then we had ne'er engine in any boat, and we were lucky even to have a sail, considering the money we had. Uncle John chuckled. Now don't torment me with no more questions, he continued. So, as we were rowing home about four miles an hour and twenty miles to go, fog came in thick as molasses, and we got lost. We didn't know which way we was going or which way was home. Jim was pretty scared, and so was I, but father said there was an island with a little cove close to the starboard where we'd be safe if we could find it. So we rowed some more, feeling our way slowly and stopping every so often to shove our oars down trying to find bottom. Soon we were in shallow water, and we threw over our anchor. We put things to rights in the cuddy, so we had room enough to curl up for to sleep, cause it was getting dark now. Bit of a squat it was, but not so bad when we put the gear on the cutty roof over our heads. And then we fitted ourselves somehow for the night. Jim said he'd like it a little bit of singing. Scared he was good and proper. So we began to sing, Oh God, our help in ages past. 
We were doing pretty good and drawing comfort from the fine words and music when suddenly the boat gave a terrible lurch. Our gear fell down on us, and I rolled under the others. I could feel the boat tossing and turning, so I thought it would break. Father told us to get off him, but when we tried, another lurch sent us over again, and then everything went quiet. Uncle John paused. I could feel a cold chill down my spine. Louise glanced quickly at me before she slipped her hand into mine. Inside the stove, a log fell and the flames roared up the chimney. By and by, we sat up and looked around at one another. Father whispered that the wind was coming up bad and we should see if the hanker was holding. I knew we should, but I was afraid to put me nose out of the cuddy. Finally, we got up courage and looked out. The fog was gone and the stars shone thick all over the sky like raisins in a duff. We were right there in the cove. The beach wasn't twenty yards away and the sea was as calm as hoyle. Although it was all quiet, we didn't do more than whisper. We had a look at the anchor, tied up the sail, stored our horse against the side of the boat, and stuck our jiggers between the ribs. And then we went back to our sleeping place and decided we'd have another M. Before we'd sung a verse, the boat began to lurch and roll again, only this time worse. After a little spell, the boat dipped by the head, just like someone standing in the bow over our heads pulling up anchor. We could hear the anchor rope slap, slap on the deck above as if it was being curled up, and we shook and shivered, I can tell you. And then the anchor dropped with a splash, and the rope slid over the deck back into the water. We were some frightened, and I can guarantee, and although we were all crumpled in a heap, we never moved. By and by it was still again. The cramp in my leg was cruel painful, so I stretched out and looked at the others. Father had his eyes closed, right tight, and his mouth was going awful fast. I think he was saying his prayers. Jim was as white as a cod's belly, and he never moved. I pushed him, and he looked pitifully at me, so I put my arm around him, and that's the way we stayed for the longest night I ever put in. The first chink of daylight, and we rowed out of that place so fast we left a wake like a steamship. The boat was a mess, and the lines all tangled, oars slung about. And before we got far, the women came up and we were on our way. As we were rowing home, we made it up that we wouldn't tell what happened, leastways not for a while. We said only that we hadn't slept very good on account of it being cold and crowded in the cuddy. When we arrived, everyone was some glad to see us and proud of our load of fish. Well, after we'd been home a spell and everyone got over being glad we weren't dead or lost, they thought about inquiring where we spent the night. Father told where the island was and where we'd been, and after a lot of questions, twas figured we'd been in a place they called Dorman's Cove. Well, said Grandpa, who had anxiously awaited our return, according to all I've heard, tis not a good place to pass the night. They do say Dorman's ghosts don't like noses, and he does best to get rid of anyone who bothers him. Where'd you hear that? Jim inquired. Oh, I heard it from two other people who knew Dorman before he was killed. It's pretty generally figured nobody should go in there. You boys hear anything? Well, with a look at Jim and me, Father told the story of what happened to us. Well, Grandpa listened and didn't say a word till he finished. And then he said, That was Dorman's ghost, all right. He always does that. I might as well tell you why. 
Back in the olden days, there was a trapper called Dorman. At least that's what he was called then, though they said he had a foreign-sounding name, which he hid when he deserted from a French Navy ship. Anyhow, he kept to himself, had no friends worth mentioning, and after a time moved over to that little cove to trap. He built himself a little hut and lived all alone there for years. As time went by, he got queerer and queerer till nobody would go near him. He'd come out once in a while to sell his skins and buy grub. He was doing pretty well, too, and once I mind my cousin William said to him, "'Guess I'll have to come over your way and set a few traps on your island, too.' Dorman glared at him with a ugly look, so William figured he didn't want near company. Some time after, a feller called Heber came here from St. John's. He had no family and seemed to be a pretty tough man. Folks figured he had to get away from the town. See, twas about that time the Catholics and the Protestants were having a war round about St. John's. Maybe he'd killed someone. Anyhow, he gave out that he was going to trap on some of the islands that fall. The older men warned him about Dorman's ugly temper, but Eber said twas crown land and free to everyone, so he went to Dorman's island. Grandpa said he didn't turn up in the harbor for two months, and when he did he had a fine load of skins to sell. Of course, everyone wanted to know how he and Dorman got along, but they couldn't get much out of him. He laughed kind of foolish-like to all their questions and said he could manage Dorman all right and no one was going to push him out of a place where he had a right to be. Twas figured pretty generally they was both tough customers and a good match. Well, the next thing we heard was that when he sailed by under the windward hill of the island, Lily heard them shouting at each other and swearing great oaths. Nair one of them came over here for a long time, but we didn't think nothing of it, cause it was summer and they had lots of grub. And then one day, Lys came in from the fishing and said that at daylight he'd seen Heber in his boat coming out of the cove and heading northeast towards the islands off Twillingate. He said twas a foolish place to go, seeing as how there was only ox on them rocky islands and, and hardly a toehold of earth. William and a few other men decided they'd better get to rights about the matter, so a few days later they went over to the island. Uncle John arose and drank noisily from the dipper hanging beside the water bucket. He wiped his white mustache with the back of his hand and looked slyly at us two girls to see how eager we were to hear the rest of the story. Well, sir, what do you think they found? The tilt was empty, right empty. Nothing left at all, not even a bit of fishing line. But there under the trees was a fresh dug spot about the size of a grave, and that was likely where Dorman's body now lay. People say Dorman's ghost wants the place to himself now he's dead, seeing he couldn't have it that way in life. Guess he didn't like your disturbing the night peace with your singing, and the poor ghost he didn't have enough sense to know you couldn't go away in the dark after he'd frightened the daylights out of you. Heber? No, no one ever saw him again that I knows of. Nobody told the magistrate when the court came round. We figured we didn't all want to be haunted. Oh, Uncle John, I squeaked out. You'll have to walk down the lane home with us. We're scared. And he took us by the hands, never letting go until he lifted the latch of our back door and let us into our warm, cozy kitchen. You know, I never did tell this story until long after the day I wept bitterly at Uncle John's funeral. I was desolated. 
and rarely since has such a deep despair visited me. Nobody would tell me ghost stories now and hold my grimy hand against the terrors of the darkness or whittle boats for me or show me where the biggest tommy cod were hiding in the clear water off his stage head. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late El Emanuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmoor National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week to the story of Grandfather's Famous Goat.